Good afternoon. I would like to start out by saying thank you to the elders for this opportunity. I remember growing up and sitting in the pews, never imagining that I would have such an opportunity to, to preach the gospel of God. But God is good, God is gracious, and even when I thought there was no hope for me, he, he saved me. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, I am a weak man, and I feel my weakness standing in this pulpit. I pray that you will strengthen me. I pray that you will speak through me, that your people here will be uplifted, that your people here will hear of the glories of your love and be moved to service, dear God. Be moved to live lives that honor and please you in every way, shape, and form. This is our prayer, and this is our hope in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I have titled my message, The Love of God, and I hope to make clear to us this evening how deeply the Lord loves us from this passage. Romans chapter 8, we will read from verse 31 until the end, from verse 31 until verse 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against the God? against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is indeed interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, no powers, no height, no depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In this section of scripture, we find 
wonderful reassurance of the love of God for us. When we read this section of scripture, it should cause us to say, wow. It should cause us to be struck with awe for the great way in which God has loved us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In this section, the Apostle Paul asks four questions to assure us of the love of God. So we'll go through section by section, seeing what we can learn from each part, using the four questions as the points for our sermon. The Apostle Paul has just spoken about predestination, justification, and glorification. These are doctrines that I believe we love as Reformed Baptists. So he speaks about these doctrines and then goes forward to say in verse 31, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also graciously give us all things? The first question that we find the Apostle Paul asking here is, if God is for us, who can be against us? I honestly believe that the Apostle Paul could have ended right here. Because if God is for us, really, who can be against us? If the God of all the universe, the creator of all things in heaven and on earth is for us, who will do anything against us? We can wrap it up and move to chapter 9. God is for us. But no, the Apostle Paul has a pastoral heart. He has the heart of a counselor. And so he wants the people who he is writing to to be left in no doubt that they are loved by God. So he, he takes it further. He takes it even deeper. And he says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us. As believers, we can become so familiar with the gospel that we are no longer in awe of what God did for us when he gave us his son. We treat it like it is uh, normal and pedestrian, but it isn't. It is glorious that the Lord, that God gave us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what did he do in giving us his son? He did not spare his son. And I want, to, I want us to go through a few verses that I hope will bring the magnitude of what Jesus did for us and what God did for us in sending uh, Jesus. 
I hope it brings the magnitude of this gift to our minds. First of all, let's go to Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 14. Isaiah 52 and verse 14. It is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ before he was hanged on that tree as he was making his way to be crucified. And it says, his appearance was so marred beyond all human semblance and, him, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Because of the many movies that we have watched, we do not get this picture in our mind when we think of our Lord Jesus Christ heading to the cross. We think that uh, he was fresh-faced, looking normal, but this passage says to us his appearance was so marred that he didn't look human. I put it to you that that is great love. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, we'll read verse 38 and 39. Matthew chapter 26. It reads, Then he said to them, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nonetheless, not as I will, but as you will. So the Lord Jesus Christ he is God. He has a picture in his mind of what is about to happen to him even before he gets to the cross. He knows that even before I get to the cross, I will be in terrible pain. And then as I get to the cross, I will bear the sins of the world. So he says to his father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. In Luke 22, we are told that Jesus was in such deep anguish as he prayed that his tears became like blood. The Lord Jesus Christ was in so much anguish, anticipating what was to come, that his sweat became like blood blood. This is what it cost for the Lord Jesus Christ to take our sin. And then the final verse that I want us to look at in this section is Matthew chapter 27 verse 46. A lot of us will be very familiar with it. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. 
it says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, God, for our sake, put all the sin of his people on his son. And Jesus feels the separation from his father. Jesus feels the pain of his father's wrath for our sake. Because we are here, we can see that it did not please the father to change his mind. God said there is no other way. And therefore Jesus had to go to the cross. And the father puts the greatest punishment ever on his son. In the last month, God has been pleased to give us a vivid picture of the pain of parents losing a child. On two occasions in the last month, we've seen what it's like for parents to lose their children. We know that it is deeply painful for a parent to lose their child, whether it is by miscarriage, whether it's by sickness, whatever the, the circumstances are, it is painful. During my sister's funeral, I kept on looking at my parents and thinking to myself, what kind of pain does it cause in a parent's heart to lose their child? And as I looked at them and watched them, I said, I cannot comprehend what it is for a parent to lose their child. But God the Father knows this pain and he knows it all too well. His son died for our sake. But not only that, he was inflicting the blow that caused his, son death, his son's death. When Jesus was crying on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was God who was causing him that pain. As Jesus continued on the cross and he was, as he was about to die, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. At that point, God the Father didn't say, okay, okay, it's gone too far. We'll stop it here. We'll go back. You will not have to die. But no, he had to die. And so God still inflicted the pain on him, inflicted the torture for your sin. And he was crushed for our redemption. He was crushed for our redemption by his father. Are you hearing this? His father killed him for our sake. John Piper puts it this way. 
God in eternity past, foreseeing my faults and my pride and my sin, said, I want that man in my family. I will pay for that man to be in my family with my son's life. That's love, folks. That is mega off the charts love. This love that God the Father has shown to us should give us a new perspective when we read that all too well known verse, John 3 verse 16, that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Again, we read that so often and we rush past it. God had one son and he gave that son that we might have eternal life. As a young Christian, I remember having devotions or family worship at home. And I was so struck by the love of God that at the end of the devotion, I went to my father and I said, Dad, the, the love of, of God is crazy. He turned to me and he said, you can't say that about God. God is not crazy. I said, no, no, no. What I'm trying to say is that the love of God is hard for me to process. It's, un it's unfathomable. It's so great that the only word that comes to my mind is crazy. That's for you, the younger people in here. The love of God is crazy. God only had one son, but he did not spare that son for our sake. With the affliction that uh, we've been going through recently, we might begin to doubt the love of God. But we must remember that God had only one son and he crushed his son for our sake. God loves us. There is no doubt about it. Even in this affliction, we still have hope because God crushed his son for the people who have recently gone to be in heaven. God loves us. All right, so that's question number one. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 33, the Apostle Paul proceeds to his second question and he says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Question number three, who is to condemn Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of his father, indeed, and indeed is interceding for us. This language that we find here, the language of who will bring a charge and who will condemn is, uh, is legal language. So what is the Apostle Paul trying to say when he says, who can bring a charge against us? Simply, 
he is saying to us that no one can bring a charge. That no one can bring an accusation. Before we even get to the place where we begin to defend ourselves, the Apostle Paul is saying to us, no one can even bring a charge in order that we need to begin defending ourselves. God is saying there is no room for someone to even accuse us. Because it is God who justifies us. The next question is, who is to condemn? Again, legal language. You have heard the description before, I believe. He was condemned to death. God is saying to us, no one can declare us guilty. Not a single person in this world can declare us guilty. Because it is Christ who died. Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is seated at the right hand of his father, who is interceding for us. I believe that the Apostle Paul is trying to make us certain that there is no accusation for us. There is no guilt at the end of the day for us because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Sometimes we, we look in the mirror, and by the mirror here I mean the law of God, and all we feel is condemned. This is what Romans 3, verse 19 to 20 says. It says, Now we know that the law, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So we look at the mirror of God's law. We have knowledge of our sin and our hearts condemn us. They say, you are a sinner, you deserve death. But the Bible tells us that when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. When our hearts condemn us, after we look in the mirror of God's word and we see that we are deserving of death, we must remember that God is greater than our hearts. Christ is the one who died for us. More than that, He's the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of his father, interceding for us. But this verse, or this question here says, who? Who? So I believe that when it says who, it is speaking of the devil. And this is what the devil and his minions do. The devil and his minions look to accuse the brethren. If you are a Christian here, you need to know that that's what the devil is out for in your life. He wants you to be accused. God says there is no room for accusation. In the Bible study today, we looked at Revelation 12, 
and verse 10 says the same thing. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Day and night, the devil is looking to accuse you who is a believer. The devil, day and night, is coming with his minions and whispering things like, aren't you the one who did this before you claimed to be a Christian? Aren't you the one who is still struggling with that besetting sin? How can God possibly love you the way that you are? You are sinful. You still struggle. And by the way, you have the past. The devil is constantly in our ears accusing us. John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress speaks of how the devil and his minions whisper wild heresies into the minds of the people of God. So you'll be going about your day, maybe even be in a context where you are worshipping God, and then all of a sudden the wildest heresy comes into your mind. And you're thinking to yourself, what's happening? I don't even believe this about God, so why has this thought come to my mind? And then the devil will whisper to you, how can you possibly be a Christian and have such thoughts? Brethren, that's what the devil does. This is one of the ways in which he throws his fiery darts in our direction. I remember coming across this and thinking to myself, oh, I thought it was just me. I thought I was uh, like the devil was trying to make me believe there's something wrong with my Christianity because all of a sudden... I'm praising God, or I'm, I'm preaching, I'm speaking to a student, and then the wildest thought comes to my mind. But I know for a fact, I don't believe this. God says no one can bring an accusation. No one can declare you guilty because he was pleased to crush his son on our behalf. Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. So who can, bring, who, can, who can bring a charge against us? Let me, let me try and give you an illustration that I believe falls short of what is happening here. But I think it will shed some light on what God is trying to communicate to us. So imagine a person who has been charged with some crime and they are set to appear in court. But as they walk into court, they see that the judge who they are about to face is their mother. Man, they know what's about to happen. I'm about to go scot-free. If uh, in this situation, if it was my mother, I would be smiling because I know that she would be even adding to my defense. This is the picture that God 
is trying to give us here. He is the one who justifies. But this picture falls short because God is just. My mother will support me because she's my mother. But God is just and so he provides justice in this situation. What's justice? He sent his son for my sake. Therefore, I will not be declared guilty. I am justified because of what Jesus Christ has done on, on my behalf. Again, Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who is interceding for us. If the devil and his minions are relentless in their accusations, then the Lord Jesus Christ is even more relentless in his interceding for us. So try as he may, it will not work. Christ is interceding for us. Christ is praying for us. God will bring us through, through his son. Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Brethren, there is no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. Early on in my Christian life, I was struggling with assurance of salvation. Struggling with assurance of, of salvation. And after a long while, the Lord used Romans 10 verse 11 to assure me that I am saved, I am safe, and I am secure in his son. This is what Romans 10 11 says. Everyone who hopes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who hopes in Christ will not be put to shame. The devil will throw his fiery darts at you. The devil will accuse you. The devil will let you know that there is condemnation coming for you. But listen to what God says. God says, Everyone who hopes in his son will not be put to shame. So do you hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that where your faith is? Not in anything that you are doing or anything that you can do or anything that you will ever do, but in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for our sake. Christ is the one who died. You will not be put to shame. The fourth and last question that I want us to look at, it says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. There are so many things in this world that say to us, God doesn't love you. Our circumstances, 
when we go through hard times, when we go through times of trial, like we are currently going through, we might be tempted to think God does not love us. But God says to us, none of those things will separate us from the love that he has for us. There is nothing in this world that can overcome the power of Christ. Therefore, nothing can keep us from the love of Christ. Whatever it is, no matter how hard it gets, you are jobless. You do not have clothes to put on your back. You are still single and you want to be married. Your family hates you because of your faith. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. You have a terrible past. You did bad things. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. You had bad things done to you. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Verse 35 says, or danger or sword. So, danger or sword, danger that leads to death, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. I want us to end here because like I've already said in the last few weeks, as a church we have experienced, experienced the loss of our members. And I want us to know that even in death, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not even death can separate you from the love of Christ. Listen to verse 38 and 39 as they expand on danger and sword. The verses say, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, no things present, no things to come, no powers, no heights, no depth, no anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God in Christ our Lord. This is how Paul Washer puts it. He says, do you think that after everything that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, we will get to heaven and we will meet him standing with his arms folded, looking angry at us? No. Absolutely not. Often when we evangelize, we say to people, what will you do if you get to the gates, if you get to the gates of heaven and uh, you find Angel Gabriel standing there and he's asking you, why should I let you in? Brethren, this is an evangelistic too. When we get to heaven, there will be no room for the angel Gabriel to ask us what we are doing there. Because before, even, before he even has the chance to open his mouth to say something, the Lord Jesus Christ will be making a beeline for us. He will be overjoyed and excited to see us. He will wrap his arms around us and tell us that we are safe at home. 
even death cannot separate us from the love of Christ. This was the experience of Mwansa. This was the experience of my sister. This was the experience of all the saints who have left us in the recent years. They got to heaven. Their savior was the most overjoyed to see them. He wrapped his arms around them and he said, welcome home. So we are in pain here. We're in pain. They are not around. But on the other side, they are not in pain. They are happy. They are with their Savior. They have the greatest joy that they will ever have. Brethren, not even death can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We are safe. We are secure. Our Father loves us. Our brother died for us. Amen.